This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we are rolling right along in our adventure in Acts with Eutychus raised from the dead, Paul to the Ephesian elders, parts one and two, Paul lands at Tyre, and Paul makes his way to Jerusalem. Da-da-da-dum! Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. From the rising of the sun to its setting. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Sanctify us in your truth. Your word is truth. From the rising of the sun to its setting.
reading from Luke chapter 3. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath to come, bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. <coughs> Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be content with your wages. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly set in the heavens. Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. You shall have no other gods. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not.
Ten Commandments appear on page 321. What is the fourth commandment? Honor your father and your mother. What does this mean? What is the fifth commandment? You shall not murder. What does this mean? What is the sixth commandment? You shall not commit adultery. What does this mean? Is the seventh commandment? You shall not steal. What does this mean? You should fear and love God so that you do not take our neighbor's money or possessions or give them any dishonest way, but help him to improve and protect his possessions and income. What is the eighth commandment? You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. What does this mean? of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dearly beloved, it is Scripture and our liturgy that teach us to pray, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. A good prayer for us, one that we need. But one of the wrongest, falsest things about the liberal wing of world Christianity is that they do not call people to repentance on the basis of God's law as written in Holy Scripture. They let people decide for themselves how God wants them to live their life, or they encourage people to adopt the ethic of their country's center-left political party. But without the real preaching of the law, people do not recognize what are really sins. And without recognizing real sins, no real repentance is possible. And without real repentance, there is no forgiveness of sins. So these so-called Christians are just the opposite of John the Baptist. When people questioned him what they should do in order to bear fruits worthy of repentance, John told them. He gave them specific instructions. He who has two tunics or extra food, share. Fifth and seventh commandments. Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Seventh commandments. Do not extort money by threats or by false accusation. Fifth, seventh, and eighth commandments. John specifies the commandments. He tells them how to live their life. And what are the fruits in keeping with repentance for these various vocations? This is important. 
Adult converts to Christianity have two kinds of questions. Half are, what is the truth that I should believe? And the other half are, what is the right thing to do? John the Baptist would tell them. And today, our pastors should do the same. Christ sends preachers to apply not just the gospel to the various situations of people's lives, but also the law. And the law is applied not just to bring about a feeling of repentance, but also to direct repentant people in what God desires them to do. So, bearing John's example in mind, let us today first consider how the Ten Commandments reflect God's holy and righteous character, and then let us apply two of the commandments to ourselves. The Ten Commandments are not arbitrary. They reflect God's character. They are a summary of the moral law. It's not as though the Father said to the Son and the Holy Ghost, I wonder what laws we should give to mankind. I know, let's forbid lying and stealing. No, it's not arbitrary. Now, there are some laws that were chosen by God and given just to demonstrate some kind of good purpose. In the Old Testament, we distinguish between the moral law, the ceremonial law, and the civil law of ancient Israel. Laws like the Ten Commandments are the moral law. They speak about natural and true sins. Try this sometime. Read through the book of Genesis. You will find that every one of the Ten Commandments was in effect before Exodus 20. That's the moral law. Then there are ceremonial and civil laws of ancient Israel, which God instituted at a particular time in history for particular purposes, and then later repealed. So the Israelites could not eat pork or lobster, but we can. God be praised. <laughs> the Ten Commandments, then, are a statement given in time of the eternal moral law of God. The moral law is simply what says, be like God, don't be like the devil. God is characterized by certain virtues, such as love, chastity, and truthfulness. The moral law says, be like God. Not, of course, with regard to his power, which cannot be imitated, but with regard to his righteousness. This is why the formula of Concord rightly says that the law is eternal. It is not an arbitrary, changeable set of rules like avoiding pork, though even the dietary laws of the Old Testament had meaning and probably should not be called arbitrary. In any case, the moral law reflects the kind of God that he is. The devil, on the other hand, is characterized by certain vices, hatred, murder, lust, fornication, slander, envy, evil desire. He is a self-centered, malevolent, misanthropic spirit. The eternal moral law says, don't be like him. 
Now, God's character, it's not like there's 10 parts of God or 10 attributes of God or something like that corresponding to the Ten Commandments. His character is simple and one. God is love. But for us, in time and in creation, and especially to declare what this love is to a sinful and conniving human race, it needs to be articulated and specified just as John the Baptist explained the fruits of repentance. And so the Lord Jesus summarized it as the love of God and the love of neighbor in Matthew 22. And God on Mount Sinai specified it further for Israel as Ten Commandments. These Ten Commandments are something like an incarnation, or rather an inscripturation, of the eternal moral law, which especially addresses the sins of ancient Israel. These commandments apply to Christians, though some of the details apply just to ancient Israel, such as having the seventh day of the week as the only and mandated day of rest. But these aspects have been clarified and modified in the New Testament. And so the New Testament makes clear that the Ten Commandments still apply to Christians, though they must be read in light of the teaching of Christ and of the apostles. They are not arbitrary, and they still apply. Now, like John the Baptist, let's take a look and apply two of these to modern problems. Keep calm. The fifth commandment says, you shall not murder. And the Lord Jesus explains, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Therefore, don't be so angry, keep calm. But people nowadays love to be angry. They call it indignation and take to the social medias, vilifying their opponents, either trying to make America great again or to awoken the world. The so-called Tea Party did it years ago, and then the woke movement is doing it now. And ours is an outrage culture. What about in the church? Well, here too there is anger. Anger in the church, though, is extremely counterproductive, even when it seems warranted. Instead of anger, when problems or perceived errors arise, there should be discussion and calling for correction with insistence, but with all calmness. Discussing doctrine and practice and exposing problems and errors is right and good for all Christians whose chief love is God and his word. But brothers and sisters, let this be done with love and with calmness of spirit. Anger is forbidden by the fifth commandment, except unless you have an office, such as being a parent or in a government office against lawbreakers. Even in a democracy, a government of the people, the people are not to exercise wrath, but to put anger and punishment in the hands of their elected officials to do their duty of wrath against evildoers. Otherwise, be fervent for the truth, but also patient. Keep calm. 
That's one of the modern problems. The other is be chaste, be self-controlled, strong in will to resist the venereal pleasures. Perhaps no other vices are so prevalent today as anger and unchastity. Ancient Israel, by comparison, must not have had so many crass venereal sins as are common today. The most prevalent form of unchastity seems to have been adultery, that is, extramarital intercourse with a married person. The Israelites valued marriage, and most people were married at a young age. Therefore, adultery was the biggest problem, and God mentioned it specifically in the Sixth Commandment. And with that commandment, he touches on and prohibits the entire category of unchastity, whether it's adultery or simple fornication. Now, if I were to pick out the most prevalent venereal sin today, I might say, you shall not fornicate. And I would add a part B, nor shall you look sexually at anyone who is not your spouse. Of course, I did not need to say that, the Lord Jesus said it first, whoever looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That is the mess of the world in which we live, where so much filth is everywhere you turn. And even when people try to cover themselves up a little bit, hearts are still unchaste and burning. That is the other modern problem which, like John the Baptist, I wanted to address. Be chaste. What a messed up world we live in. What messed up lives we have. How then shall we be saved? With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. There is hope. The Father chose you in Christ for salvation before the foundation of the world. God's Son died for sinners. The Holy Spirit comes to believers with forgiveness and new life and strength. There is forgiveness in Christ, and your life can change no matter who you are or what you have done. And so let our constant prayer be, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Amen.
In peace, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the gift of divine peace and of pardon, with all our heart and with all our mind, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the Holy Christian Church, here and scattered throughout the world, and for the proclamation of the gospel and the calling of all to faith, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For this nation, for our cities and communities, and for the common welfare of all, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For seasonable weather and for the fruitfulness of the earth, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For those who labor, for those who work is difficult or dangerous, and for all who travel, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For all those in need, for the hungry and homeless, for the widowed and orphaned, and for all those in prison, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the sick and dying, and for all those who care for them, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Finally, for all our needs of body and soul, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. O God, our refuge and strength, the author of all godliness, hear the devout prayers of your church, especially in times of persecution, and grant that what we ask in faith we may obtain. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Blessed Lord, you have caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant that we may so hear them, read, mark, learn, and take them to heart, that by the patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. I thank you, my Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my duties in life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul, The Almighty and merciful Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bless and preserve us.